Let me ask you a question. What does Abraham Lincoln look like? Go ahead. You can talk back. What's he look like? Tell me something about Abraham Lincoln. Beard. Beard. Hat, very tall. Pale skin. Anything else? Very noble. I do think of him being very noble. A top hat, wrinkled, kind of wrinkled face, old. How do you know that? From the Lincoln, from the Lincoln Memorial. It's on our money. I, I had to. I was asking Barbie yesterday. I was like, Abraham Lincoln is on the five dollar bill, right? I, I never carry cash anymore. I know he's on the penny. I, that's how I know what Abraham Lincoln looks like is from a penny, right? Like it's so uh, ingrained into our life. Like we see, we see Abraham Lincoln. I remember learning about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln from the youngest of ages. They were always sort of before me. Those were the two great presidents. The first president and the president who ended slavery and brought the country together after the Civil War. Those are the ones I knew. And I even, I think I even knew a lot more about Abraham Lincoln because he was actually photographed and we know more about him, or at least I do, than George Washington. We know what he looks like because of the Lincoln Memorial, the $5 bill, the penny, and all of those things. Now let me ask you a second question, even harder. What does God look like what does God look like? Nobody knows. It's such a tricky question because I've been, you know, I, I've, I totally got into this show this uh, summer called The Good Place. I love it. I blew through all three seasons. I think it's fantastic. It's a profoundly spiritual show that comes on NBC. There's a show that came on CBS last year called God Friended Me. I never watched an episode of it. I think it was a pretty, from all I understand, it's a pretty good show. I don't know that you ever see God in the show. I can't, I, I don't know. When I think of God in pop culture, I think of Morgan Freeman. If I get to heaven and God doesn't look a little bit like Morgan Freeman, I think I'm going to be slightly disappointed. Honestly, like, you know, he's in the Bruce Almighty, the Evan Almighty. I think he did a, just did a show on CNN or some channel about God or something. Like, if, he, if God doesn't look a little bit like Morgan Freeman or sound like him or something, I think I'm going to be slightly uh, disappointed. I know there was a movie, The Shack, that was uh, from a popular book that talks a lot about God and what God looks like. I know that bands like The Fray and Linkin Park and uh, Chance the Rapper talk about God and what God is like and what maybe he looks like or how he acts and what he's like. Tim Tebow, uh, I remember Tim Tebow in college would always have scripture right here on his eye black, you know, and he was always talking about God and what God was like. And, uh, and, and Chip and Joanna Gaines are like those, uh, the Magnolia people. My wife likes them. I don't really care for those guys. They're they're great. I just don't get into their show. But like, I feel like the nation has sort of swept through with this, the influence of the gangs, and they talk about God and what God is like. And we're constantly wondering what God is like. And even more, maybe what does God look like since we have never seen God, like we've seen Abraham Lincoln. But the Bible doesn't make this a huge mystery. The Bible tells us exactly what God looks like. If we want to know what God looks like, we look to Jesus, according to the Bible. If we want to know what God looks like, we look to Jesus. Now, this is off the notes, which always means I could potentially 
get in trouble. But our culture tells us a lot of what Jesus looks like, like, and, and therefore what God looks like. Like, I remember seeing as a kid, like, Jesus wore a white robe, and he looked like a hippie with sandals, and he always had, like, a beauty pageant sash that was blue, and he had long, beautiful blonde hair. You know, I've seen Jesus with dreadlocks. I've seen Jesus who looks very Middle Eastern. We always want to know what he looks like. I don't think his physical appearance is as important as his character and who he was. And when we want to know what God looks like, we look to Jesus and we look at who he was and what he talked about and what he was like. Because Jesus and the New Testament writers, um, say, they both say something that's, that's really important. Jesus doesn't just say, this is what God is like. He says, I am God and I am, a, I am God with skin on. So if you want to know God, you know me. And that's a crazy, crazy idea. If it's not true, that makes Jesus the craziest human being who ever walked planet Earth. But if it is true, we've got to look into that. And so I want us to look at a passage of scripture today. Uh, it's actually a hymn. So Paul has written this book, uh, this letter. Uh, we get it in the Bible as Colossians. Is really a, a, a letter that was written to a network of churches. So you got all these small towns. So it would be like you got Charlestown, the West End, the North End, you know, East Somerville, all these little neighborhoods. And so Paul is writing a letter to that area, like this a series of neighborhoods and little churches that meet him. And the region is called Colossae. And so what they would do is they would say, okay, read this letter in Charlestown. Then you pass it over to the North End. And they would read it in the North End. And he's writing this letter to these churches in this area called Colossae. And as he he's doing this, he's telling them what it looks like to believe God and to follow God. So the first half of a lot of Paul's letters, including this one, are talking about what it looks like to believe right about God. And then the next part is talking about what it looks like to live that out. So the first part, how to believe God. The second part, what your marriage looks like as you follow God. Or how you handle your money differently, or how you learn, or how you work, or all of those things. He's talking about that. So the first half is right belief. The second half is about right living. And in the part we're going to read today, he kind of takes a time out from what he's talking about. He's setting everything up, and he's going to take a time out. And he's going to quote a hymn. He's going to quote a super early hymn that the first church was singing some weeks we sing here, by the way. Some weeks we don't. We're not today. We'll sing again on the 29th. Um, so he's going to take a time out from his letter, and he's going to say, he's going to give the words to a song. All right? And what we're going to read today is just a two, is two verses to a song that the church sang in the first 30, 40 years of its existence. And so we're going to start in verse 15. Let me read it to you if I can. Now he is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And all things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All right? That's the end of the first verse. Now here comes the second verse, the second stanza. And he, Jesus, is the head of the church, or the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood 
of his cross. So he's writing this letter to this network of churches. They're struggling. They've been hearing bad theology. It would be like somebody coming in here today and saying, hey, Jesus might be the way to know God, but there might be six other ways. And everybody's kind of like, oh, man, what's going on? Is that true? Is that not? And so Paul is writing this letter to address some bad belief that they've picked up. And in it, like he's giving this hymn. And in the first part, those first three verses, 15 through 17, he's saying Jesus is God over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God and he created everything and everything we see and even the things we don't see were created by him and they were created for him. And that second part he's saying, he's talking about Jesus and redemption in the church. So the first part is this big like planets, think Milky Way galaxy, think universe. And then the second part is think about right here, God in us and God among us. And that is what he's talking about. So I want to go through really quickly verse by verse if we can, and just share a few things with you. First thing I want to point out is that word image. We're in a series right now as a church called Image is Everything, the image of God in everyday life, okay? That word image is a word icon, and what it means, it's kind of like this penny. It's when the Bible says that Jesus is the image of God, it's saying like, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Uh, Jesus is a representation of God. He's a manifestation of God. Jesus, the Bible says, is God with skin on. First time I ever heard that, I was like, God, what a great phrase. That Jesus is God with skin on. And uh, he is God, but he's also man-made. Like, right, so I think this is the first slide, Scott, if you'll go to this one. Next one. Not Abraham Lincoln, sorry. Now, the last two weeks, we've talked about how man is made in the image of God. We've, you've heard that phrase, people, men and women are made in the image of God. But Jesus is the image of God. Jesus wasn't even made. He is the image of God. When we look at Jesus, we see exactly what God looks like. And then it says he is the image of the invisible God. Somebody said a minute ago, we don't know what he looks like. We don't, we don't know. He is, the, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, I'm going to give you a nerdy theology lesson really quickly, okay? In the 300s AD, there was a guy named Arius who was a leader in the church. And Arius came up with a heresy, a wrong belief, that caused him to be pushed out of the church. And Arius said this, on, based on this verse. Arius said that Jesus was made by God. That when Jesus said that he was God's son, and Colossians said that, er, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, well, that must mean that God was... And then he made Jesus, and then he made everything else. And that's just not biblical. And so the people who led the church said, no, 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 Arius, you've gone sideways. You're thinking about this wrong. You're believing wrong. We need to correct your belief. We've got to help you, my brother. And he said, no. And so today, you get different groups that say they're Christianity that believe what's called the Arian heresy, like Jehovah's Witnesses. If you've ever heard of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus was made. But Jesus wasn't made. The whole of the Bible said that Jesus always was, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they've always been. I love talking with Coach Coleman about the Lord because so often he talks about the power of the Spirit in our lives. And that's so encouraging to me. God the Spirit, God the Son, God the Father. They always were, they always are, and they always will be. So when it says Jesus is the firstborn of creation, that doesn't mean he was actually born. I'm the oldest. Anybody in here the oldest in your birth order with your siblings? 
couple of us. We're our parents' favorite, right? Totally. My, uh, <laughs> when the Bible says that we're the firstborn, see, today parents can't say they have a favorite. I don't know if you're first, second, middle, last, wherever you fall. You, we would never say today we have a favorite. In the Bible, the firstborn may not have been the favorite. Maybe they were. The firstborn always got, unless something funny happened, the firstborn always got the greater share of the inheritance. The firstborn always got the greater share of the inheritance. So when the Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn, it's not talking about birth order. It's talking about uh, prominence before God and how he's valuable. And all of us as his brothers and sisters and his spiritual children follow after him. Jesus is the firstborn over creation, meaning that everything sort of comes after him, but he is privileged and he's over all of us. And so it goes on in verse 16, it says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things created through him and for him. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head of all things in the church. Now, this is not true for the world. And we don't hold people outside of the church accountable to the same standard that we live in. But here in Christ Church Charlestown, in this church, and the people of faith, Jesus is to be the head. And so it goes on in 17, it says, and he is before all things, and in him, I love this, all things hold together. I read this week in the news that they found a planet somewhere way far away that has water on it. And we could never get to it because I believe it says 111 million light years away or some ludicrous amount of distance. But it has water and it could even be inhabitable potentially. Listen, Jesus is in control of this planet and that planet and all of them. And with the snap of a finger, he could snap and they would all just fall forever into the abyss. Because he holds everything we see and everything that we are together. Now, that's how Jesus relates to creation. Let's look at how he relates to us, the church, verse 18. And Jesus is the head of the church, the body. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that everything he might be preeminent. He's the head of the church. Jesus died on the cross so that we can have relationship with God. And out of that, he gets to be the boss. So a Christian is not someone who goes to church. A Christian is not someone who does good things. A Christian is not someone who gives money away to good causes. A Christian is one who has said, Jesus is the Lord of my life. And a church is a gathering of people who together have made that confession. So in the church, can I tell you something? My name's JD. I'm the pastor. We moved here three years ago from Greenville, South Carolina to start Christ Church Charlestown. But I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the pastor of Christ Church Charlestown. Some of you were telling me your families go to church as well. And Jesus is the pastor of that gathering of people. And if Jesus isn't the head of a church, if this is your church, you, you need to hear this. If Jesus ever ceases to be the head of this church, then we've just become a country club. And we may as well just close the doors. And a lot of churches in our country, Jesus has stopped being the head of those churches and they're dead. You ever walked into a dead church? You ever walked into one coach? Like, I've walked into dead churches. My dad was not a Christian. 
My dad became a Christian like three hours before he died, right? But about six months before he died, he decided he was going to go visit churches because God was starting to reel him in and grab his heart. And my dad said one day, he he woke up, he was like, I'm going to a church. He goes to his church. He said it seated, I think I've told you a story before, Mark. He said it seated like 500 people. And the church is starting at 10 o'clock and he walks in and it's like 10.02 and there's 15 people in there. And I said, what'd you do? He said, I got up and walked out. I said, why? He said, if Jesus is alive and he's the head of that church, there should be more people sitting in there. I was like, dang, my dad doesn't even, he's not even a Christian. He got that right. Like he, he figured that out. He got it right. Like Jesus is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. And he earned the right by dying on the cross to be the head. So the biblical word for a pastor is an under shepherd. Jesus shepherds the church. I'm an under shepherd. And that's all I am. I work for Jesus. We all serve Jesus. He is the pastor of Christ Church Charlestown. So a church without Jesus as its head, just close the, close the, close the doors. Go home. Stay in bed. Go to, go to the Boston Harbor. Go watch a baseball game. Go do whatever you want. But here, we worship Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We follow Jesus. We serve Jesus. We obey Jesus. Now, I love this phrase at the end of verse 18. If you still got your Bible open, look at the last word in verse 18. It says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, because he rose from the dead three days after they crucified him, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent. That means first place. First place. Jesus wants to be preeminent in our lives. If you'll go to that next uh, slide for me, Scott, I think I've got it over here. Jesus deserves to be preeminent in our lives. If you write anything down or put anything in your phone or take a photo of anything today, get this. Jesus deserves to be preeminent in our lives. That means before and over everything. So often, we just want to make him prominent in our lives. Prominent means important. Preeminent means first with no clear second. Prominent is important. Like, I want Jesus to be prominent, but I also want my wife to be prominent, my kids to be prominent, my comfort to be prominent, people liking me to be prominent. I got all these things I want to be prominent and important in my life. Jesus says, I don't want to be prominent. I don't want to be a piece of the cake. I don't want to be a piece of your life. I don't want to be a piece of your schedule. I want to be the whole thing. I want to be preeminent over everything. Now, how many of us, if we're being honest, say, dude, Jesus over everything, that sounds really hard. Like for me, that seems really hard. Can I give you an encouragement? It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible to put Jesus first in everything. And that's where grace comes in. And God helps us by his grace to do things for us that we could never do for ourselves. And that's why we need Jesus. My boys are 10 and 7, and in the last year and a half, they became followers of Jesus. And I tell them all the time, you need Jesus. You're great kids. You're amazing kids, but you're not perfect. Noah messed up this week so bad. Like, when, when my kids mess up, like, I have to almost bite my hand sometimes not to just lash out irrationally at them, right? He messed up so bad, and he doesn't like to apologize either. My son doesn't love to apologize. Sorry, Dad is really not in his vocabulary most of the time. Okay, so he messed up, and, uh, and I told him, I'm like, son, I don't need you to be perfect. I need you to know I love you, and God loves you, and I need you to just put Jesus first. You're not perfect. 
Renee and I had coffee this week. We were talking about the exact same thing. We were talking about the things we struggle with. Renee, you don't need to be perfect. I don't either. We need Jesus to be preeminent in our lives and let his grace change us from the inside out. It says in verse 19, for in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Modern translation, Jesus is God with skin on. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. All of God's being was living in Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks about loving enemies, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks about serving people, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks about sexuality, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks about poverty, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks about politics, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks about social issues, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks about generosity, look to Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks about faith or family or anything on planet earth, look to Jesus. And I promise you, if we look to Jesus, we'll figure it out. And we'll say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about the internet or social media. What would Jesus say about that? I promise. If we look at Jesus and begin to get his heart, we know. We know. These guys who are work, like working out with Coach Coleman over time, some of them know him pretty well because they played for him for a year. Some of them don't know you quite as well yet. But after weeks of spending time with you, they'll know you. And I won't have to say, well, what does Coach Coleman think about um, you making good grades in school? Because you'll know, because you'll know his heart. And I won't have to say, well, what does Coach Coleman think you guys need to do in a game like in this scenario? Because you'll know his heart as the coach and you'll know... It's the same thing with God and Jesus. If we want to know how God thinks about something, even something that's not written in the Bible, as we come to know Jesus, we know exactly how God will think about something. All of God is in Jesus. And then verse 20, encourage us to know that by his blood and by the cross, Jesus is how God fixes broken relationships with people. Jesus, the God of salvation, offers peace and relationship with God. He's Lord over creation and he's Lord over the new creation. He's Lord over everything we see. And he's Lord over the things in our heart that we can't even see. Jesus is a big deal. And he should be preeminent, not just prominent. So I want to tell you, there's three things I think, no matter where you are today, there's three things I would encourage you to do. If you'll go to the one word slide here. I think Jesus is worth exploring. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you, if you didn't grow up with, with faith, uh, sort of as a person who grew up believing in Jesus. I think Jesus, first of all, is worth exploring. Now, I'm going to tell you, don't put your hope in a church or in a Christian. Carson had a crazy situation this week where his wife had, uh, he's not here today, but his wife had told us while we're in between houses, uh, Lana had said, if you need to order anything for the church, just send it to our house. Um, So this week, I needed to order a camera for the church, and I sent it to their house. But I forgot to tell her I was sending a camera to her house, right? So Carson goes to open the mail, and he finds this expensive camera. Well, he starts panicking. Why is there a nice camera at my house? Uh, And so he thinks his credit card's gotten hacked. So he spends like two hours trying to figure out why his credit card got hacked, right? And then, uh, see, I'd ordered the camera on Tuesday afternoon. Amazon said it was going to be there on Thursday afternoon. I found about it Thursday night, but he gets up early for work, so I didn't call him or text him. I called him uh, Friday about lunchtime, right? So then he spends two hours thinking he's gotten hacked. Finally, he gets on the line with the, the company that has sent the camera, and they're like, did you order it? And he says, no. 
And he's like, can you tell me who ordered it? No. no. And uh, so they said, well, it's a gift. He goes, it's not a gift. Nobody <laughs> sent me a gift. And they're like, sir, it's a gift. And he leaves it there. So when I text him Friday, I'm like, did you get the camera? And he's like, he's mad. In this moment now, Carson is mad at me because he spent, he's almost canceled his credit cards, all this thing and he's thinking that I'm playing a prank on him because Lana's told me about this camera right and so he's like well it doesn't have a lens I'm like I know Kayla had the lens I've got the camera he's like you are messing with me I mean I but we're texting so you know sometimes when you're texting you can't tell somebody's mad or laughing I think he was mad he's not here today let's hope let's hope and pray he's not mad right so all this is going on finally like Alicia brings in the camera this morning listen if Carson If Carson's relationship with Jesus is based on me, I will always let Carson down. If your faith is based on Coach Coleman, he will let you down. If your faith is in a church, your church is going to let you down. Jesus is worth exploring. And if you explore Jesus by exploring another Christian or a church, they will always let you down. We'll always let you down. But Jesus will never let us down. He will never let us down. If we want to know what God is like, we look to the image. We look to the source. We look right to Jesus to know what God is like. And that doesn't mean that there aren't people worth following. Man, uh, we had a prayer night a few weeks ago. Miss Rochelle came and she prayed. And afterwards, Natalie said, Natalie was crying when Miss Rochelle was praying. And we left and Natalie said, I needed somebody in my life to pray like that woman prays. Man, when she talks to God, like when she talks to Jesus, it's like he is in the room, but she knows who has the power. And I need, like we needed to hear and experience that that night, you know. Um, We needed that. But listen, she's going, she does that, she's going to the source. She's going straight to God, not performing for anybody. We need that in our lives. Go explore Jesus. Look to the source. You know how um, the FBI or whoever trains on counterfeits, you know how they tell you how to find a counterfeit bill? You never look at counterfeit money to find counterfeits. You look at the real money so well that you know a counterfeit when you see it. If you want to know what a counterfeit God, a counterfeit belief, a counterfeit Christian is, go look to Jesus. He's the source. He's the real thing. If you're, a, if you're a guest or even if you're coming, if you're regular, on this table here and over there is a book that you're welcome to take today. It's called Capturing God. It, in 75 or so pages, talks about if you want to know what God is like, it's going to give you an image for it. Renee's been reading. He says it's pretty good. I've read it before. I think it's really good. Second thing I would encourage you to do um, it is at, beyond exploring God, I would encourage you to believe God. Believe Jesus. There comes a moment where you have to stop exploring and you have to place your faith. An honest exploration of Jesus will always point you toward God. I've yet, in, in 20 years of being a pastor, I've yet to meet someone who, who explored God honestly who didn't end up believing God. I mean, I've seen people who are hardcore atheists and agnostics come to faith in Jesus because they explored, after they did an honest exploration of God, they came to believe God. Other religions are going to lead you to morals. They're going to lead you to being religious, to going to things, to even knowing yourself better. Exploring Jesus will actually lead you to the living God. You will know him personally. 
And then once you get to him, you have to make a choice. And like I got to sit in the other day, Coach Coleman was talking with the seniors about what's ahead and training and discipline and everything else. He said, guys, I can't make you want the city championship, state championship, to win a game. I can't make you do that. You have to make that decision on your own. And uh, those are tough words because sometimes we just want somebody else to make the decision for us, right? Same thing with believing God. Nobody can make you believe God or make Jesus be preeminent in our lives. That's our choice, and he will help us do it. We have to choose to believe on his terms. And then the third thing I would encourage us to do regarding Jesus is to follow Jesus. Not just obeying Jesus, but following Jesus. We're living with Barb and Hope. It's been a great first week. Some of you have asked, how's it been? Like, we're still there. We're still friends. They're still here this morning. We're loving it. Our kids are loving her cats. She has the most beautiful cats ever. Uh, it's been awesome. The, the boys have kind of a big sister who kind of leaves them alone, which is the greatest kind of sibling ever, right? And uh, it's been so good so far. Like, um, I just totally lost my point. I got wrapped up in, in that story. But Following Jesus is not just obeying, it's knowing him. We know these guys better than we did a week ago. See, Barb could have said, okay, you come to my house, you got to take out the trash, you got to do this, this is your schedule, all of these things. And that would be totally fair. But this has been relational, us living there. And that's how God operates as well. God doesn't need servants or little robots. He wants family. He wants children following, not obey, or following, not just obeying giving Jesus supremacy or preeminence over everything. I love this quote. I read it this week. Every area of life touched by sin also must be touched by grace. Jesus will be Lord of all or he won't be Lord at all. He doesn't play second fiddle. He doesn't share his throne in our hearts. Jesus will be Lord of all or he will not be Lord at all. God is gracious. He gives people what we don't deserve and can never earn. Can I read you what happens after this song? Let me read to you verses 21, 22, and 23. Because of Jesus, God over creation and God over the church, it says, and you who were once alienated or separated and hostile in your mind from God doing evil deeds, Jesus is now reconciled by in his body of flesh by his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed or since indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus didn't do all that stuff to set us an example. He did all that stuff to to make a way for us to have a relationship with God. So Jesus is the, the, the image I want us to walk away from today, is that Jesus is God, but is he supreme and preeminent in your life? We got a lot of, in our family right now, there are a lot of things that aren't fully settled. Uh, people are helping us with them. I was meeting with a friend of mine this week and he was like, how you doing? How's your soul? And I began to just share some things and he said this and it hit me like a ton of bricks. He goes, you think God's surprised by where you are? You think God's caught off guard by the details of your life right now? I was like, no, God knows exactly what's going on right now. He's not surprised at all. If, if Jesus is preeminent in my life and in your life, we'll understand that he's in complete control of everything and we can live so peacefully and so freely as we follow him. How would your week be different if you settled the issue of Jesus' supremacy in your life?